Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I never got down when I was poor, you know, when I was just grinding out because you're low already. You know, at that time, you're low, so every vic- every small victory felt like, you know, a joyous one. Every meeting that you did, even though nothing came out of it, like, yo, he liked that song, right? He liked that song. You know, you were getting validation every time out. Um, I went through a horribly depressed phase when I moved to L.A. So this is after Justin Bieber. This is after making money. And like, and this is at a time where I was living life. Like, in L.A., I, I'm admittedly, like, I had a, f- I lived by myself. I had a four-bedroom house with a recording studio built in, in the hills, looking over the canyon. Like, it was, it was real. So, 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 y'all, it's classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, my brother Ali? Five Diggy, Tribe Call Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles P, the Ghost. This is Ab Soul. This is K.O. And you listening to the Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. Hey. This is a show that you come up on, yeah. Hey, welcome to the Come Up Show podcast. My name is Chetto. I'm the host and founder of the Come Up Show. Thank you for joining me. I'm really excited about my guest today. The reason why is because I've known him for a minute, man. He was on the Come Up Show radio when I was doing the radio show in London way back in 2008. And I finally caught up with him again after a month of trying to make this interview happen. He goes by the name of August Rigo. And I feel like August is one of the most underrated musicians, artists from Toronto because he is a singer, songwriter, a producer, an engineer. And he's written a few songs that you may have heard of, artists you may have heard of, like Justin Bieber, Chris Brown, One Direction, Music Soul Child, and so much more. And I love this conversation because August goes through, we go through everything from success to the grind, through the hustle, through sacrifice, through working a job, through being practical. Even when August wrote songs for Justin Bieber and he had a four bedroom home in LA, he had a whip and all that. He went through depression, and he tells me about that, how he got through it, and how he got over it, and so much more in my conversation with August Rigo on The Come Up Show. Let's go! Please introduce yourself. My name is August Rigo, singer-songwriter, producer, back in with Chetto. told you that I need your love right now, time we connected was in 2008 you brought me i'll make you a star t-shirt so what you've been doing since then uh lots <laughs> lots i mean you know i ended up moving to new york a little bit i moved in, moved to la um i wrote some songs i uh, i ended up writing for justin bieber one direction music soul child sean kingston chris brown i mean that that's kind of how my career blossomed on the writing tip mm-hmm. yeah and, but you actually put in the old school hustle. You grinded. Every time you made new music, you went to NYC and you stood out outside of offices. And why was it important to do that? Um, for me, it just, it just made the journey like, more worthwhile, you know, because, you know, I was like a lot of fucking sweat equity involved in, you know, and I put myself out there like for judgment. So it, it created a really thick skin for me and also just allowed me to meet people on a face-to-face basis as opposed to like over email or over internet, you know, like really getting in their face and showing them that, yo, I'm, I'm here, I believe me. Because sometimes over email, you know, things get misconstrued or like people don't listen to the songs. But when you're just in front of someone's face, it's like, all right, cool, I'll listen. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, that really helped and just the ability to just meet people and network, you know, mm-hmm. being right there, you know, you can seize the opportunities. Because obviously nowadays it's kind of a lost art connecting with people. I have people that I bumped into sometimes, even artists have, are socially awkward. So when you're bumping into all these different people and people are different, like, are you changing your pitch a little bit? You're like, okay, I'm going to approach this this way. I'm going to talk this way. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be singing. Right? Or like, are you changing your pitch every time that you're talking to all these different people or, or what? Uh, you know yeah. what? I think I used to. I think I used to, but now I'm kind of, I'm a little more secure in who I am. I've been around the block a couple of times. 
if you really mess with me, you mess with me. I want you to like me for who I am and what I do on the real, like on a regular tip. Like you gotta, if you don't like me like that, then if you're not messing with me, like but you're talking about that now when you got all these hits. But back then in 2008, when you're going to NYC, are you still? You probably weren't as confident, no, or what? I was just a different guy, though, back then. Okay. Like, back then, my mindset was, I have to convince everybody. I was definitely a little more aggressive mm-hmm. without being a pest. You know, you don't want to be a pest, but you want to be persistent. And you don't want to give them everything. You want to give them all the great things, right? You don't want to just, oh, here's a, I have thousands of songs. No, nah, no, nah, I don't want to hear a thousand songs. I want one good one. You know, like when people come to me, like yo, I got beats, I got tons of beats. Yo, I want one good one. You send me one wicked one, I'll write a wicked song on it. You send me one good song, I'm gonna tell somebody that yo, this is a great song. Somebody should cut it. You've been to New York a hundred times. You're hustling, you're grinding, you're trying to get people's attention. But there had to been moments when you were down, when things felt futile. When you're like, fuck, man, is this working? Is this worth it? I want. Can you take me to a moment in time where you felt like that, where it was a shitty day, and how you overcame it? Um, yeah, the funny thing is, during the grind, I had so much energy and so much. Just, I felt like I had so much to give that, and I had never seen, you know, I'd never seen anything before. So, like in terms of the industry, I never got down when I was poor, you know, when I was just grinding out because you're low already. You know, at that time, you're low, so every vic- every small victory felt like, you know, a joyous one. Every meeting that you did, even though nothing came out of it, like, yo, he liked that song, right? He liked that song. You know, you were getting validation every time out. Um, I went through a horribly depressed phase when I moved to L.A. So this is after Justin Bieber. This is after making money. And, like, and this is at a time where I was living life. Like, in L.A., I, I'm admittedly, like, I had a, f- I lived by myself. I had a four-bedroom house with a recording studio built in in the hills looking over the canyon. Like, it was, it was real. Um, why, would you, why would you be depressed? And it's L.A. It's sunny all the time. You're coming from yeah, Toronto. Um, <laughs> you just get to a point where, like, you know, I wasn't making the music that I loved anymore. You know, I was chasing after artists and chasing hits, basically, and just writing from a weird place. Um, I was going through bad problems with my management. And then, you know, money wasn't coming in like the way it used to. So, you know, it hit me hard because after coming off a big high and like everybody thinks, oh, these guy writes amazing songs. You know, when you start writing these songs and you're your own worst critic, I feel like you should be it anyways. But I, I'm always that. And I was just hating my song. So I was hating myself. I remember not leaving my, my room for like weeks, bro. I would just sit there. I was smoking weed like way too much, you know, just watching TV and not doing anything because I hated everything that came out of my mouth. Like I hated everything that came out of my mind. I had no perspective. It's uh, what do they say that idleness is the devil's playground? Like I wasn't doing anything. So like mad things are running through my head. Yeah, and I got through it myself with, you know, just kind of taking everything into perspective and looking at where I was, what I'm doing, and like, what's the main problem here? The main problem is I have nothing to say anymore. And I didn't want to make it up. I wasn't inspired, right? So, you know, I took the lumps, and then I guess I was just in a funk, like a writing funk, and I just had to write myself out of it. Now that I'm here, it's a mental thing. Like, you have to get over yourself, right? So like three years later, I'm living in Toronto. I go back to those records that I hated, and a lot of them weren't, they were good. Like they were great songs. A lot of them were great songs that I'm actually getting out now, but my headspace wasn't right. So I I was lucky that I was able to overcome that, you know, and I think it's just loving the music enough that it'll take you through, you know, the hardship. Because, you know, the biggest thing for me was I do music for a living, like, and and I'm making a good living. Like I could fail breaking bricks, or like I fail making hits, like one or the other, you know what I mean? So if, if I'm going to fail at something, I want to fail somebody, something I love. But I wasn't giving my 100%. I was giving less than 1% because I was just feeling sorry for myself. So I was like, you know what? And I was putting too much emphasis on what people thought of me and my music as opposed to just putting out what do I think of the music, right? Do I like this? I didn't know what I liked because I was, use, I was using everybody's opinion to affect my own. You know, I wrote out the last year in L.A. and I, with that perspective, doing my thing. And I moved back home to Toronto and I did my album. Like, that's how I got through it. Like, I got through it by just, just really digging into myself and being like, you know what? It's not that bad. Because it isn't. It's, it's just like, yeah, you can't feel sorry for yourself because the industry is not looking at you the way you used to. Like, no, you're not doing what you used to. Like, I had to really, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror and really 
take account, like I was saying, you take accountability for everything that's happening Mm -hmm. instead of blaming everybody else and everything around you. Mm -hmm. That'll allow you to, one, get off your ass. But the second thing allowed me to figure out, like, yo, what am I made of? Like, what am I made of? Am I made of steel or am I soft? I figured I could get through that, then I could get through, you know, I got to build it back up. Got to make more songs. Got to write better songs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take the time to study, man. Take the time to study. Take the time to listen to the records. Take the time to figure out what my weaknesses are. Strengthen my weaknesses and, you know, reinforce my strengths. I think you're talking about self-awareness right now. And you did, you've talked about this before. You said self-awareness is key. So how does one come to know thyself in an overstimulated, distracted world filled with drugs and alcohol and success is also and fame is also drugs? How do you take that time to know yourself? Um, I don't know. I think a lot of it, you know, people are built differently. I find that I have a really good supportive family and that keeps it very real with me. Um, the people around you are very key. You know, the people around you are very key. I just think, man, the, the very, at the very core of it, you've got to be honest with yourself. The majority of the time when we ask questions, we ask somebody's advice, or we're asking the world questions, or asking questions about, to God, like, why is this happening? You know why it's happening. You know deep in your heart is hard. When, you, when you're like, why is my relationship not working? What the f-? Stop talking about the things that you're doing right, and let's think about the things you're doing wrong. Stop thinking about everybody else's fault. What is your fault? And what can you do to make things better? If, once you're honest with yourself, then you can start picking up the pieces. If you keep lying to yourself, you'll never see the pieces lying on the floor. You know, you just never see it. You'll step over those pieces of glass. You'll cut yourself because you're not aware and you're not being honest. You say, like, oh, no, that's not, that doesn't hurt. When really, it's, it's bleeding you to death because you're being dishonest with yourself. And it's hard. It's hard to be honest with yourself, right? It's hard to really, like, blame yourself for things that are happening. But nobody's going to take care of you like yourself. It's hard because I don't know anybody else's situation. But for me, I just had to be straight up honest with myself and move past it. And, like, am I going to do something else? No. Okay. If you're not going to do something else, you better do something about this. Yeah. So, like, yo, there's hard times all the time. But at the very core of it, I love music. I love the creative process and what I'm doing. And I just wasn't going to let anything stop me from, from getting back on my feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talking about adapting and having more than one hustle, yeah. you know, you first came out, you said you wanted to, you saw Michael Jackson, you said, I want to be a singer. Mm-hmm. And then now you're a songwriter, producer, engineer. What was it like adapting to these new identities and roles? Um, to be honest, it felt, it felt natural because it was still creative. The hardest part was starting to give away songs. Once you get the right song and you see the success it can do on another artist, it, it starts to become easier, obviously, because you're making dough, right? You're making money. So it starts to become easier. The one thing I did lose going into the songwriting side of things was I actually did lose a lot of perspective as an artist because I started to be super analytical of songs, um, started to write things from that. And that, all that stuff contributed to like the downward spiral I was on. Kind of like a formulaic yeah, you start writing cause, because when you're writing songs for yourself, you, when you're doing something for yourself, you take a special care in it. There's a special curation that goes on. Like, oh, yeah, it has to be this. Then you're writing songs for other people. You're trying to – I was trying to emulate their stuff as opposed to just giving them a great song. For me, the best thing for me is I'm not good at that. I'm not good at emulating that. I have a certain thing that I do, and I want to take what I do and juxtapose what that artist does in my world. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll write this is what I think is this is a great song. Oh, yeah, I love this, but I wouldn't speak like that. Okay, let's curate this song now because this is a great song as it is. If you can, if you can relate to this, is there any way this is relatable to you? Oh, yeah, I love this and I love what it's saying. I just don't talk. Okay, so we can curate this song so it fits you. Yeah. But that's just language. You know, that's just language, how things are said because uh, the themes are all the same. Like for, for, I mean, the themes in general, like, you know, when you're writing songs about love and relationships or the party, however you experience the party you know, or have experienced your relationship, let's flip it toward, let's flip it that way. But I can't go into that world and try to do whatever it is that's going on there because I'm not, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about that world. Mm-hmm. So, and I may, mm-hmm. but I need, I need to be in my comfort zone in order to do the best job, the most effective 
job for writing that song mm-hmm. is for you to come into my world let me do me and then let's break it apart and put you inside that mm-hmm. right? so you have that awareness and confidence to say I'm going to take my way and let's actually collaborate mm-hmm. and put it out to get there so how does that work in the digital nature of maybe you've never met Chris Brown or talked to him or Justin Bieber because these guys are too busy and you're shopping records how can you marry those things sometimes you just get it right sometimes you write a song from here and it just speaks volumes. Like, and that's the thing about the special ones. Like, we all write these songs, right? As songwriters, we write tons of songs all the time. Mm-hmm. But the special ones are the ones that transcend time, gender, and genre, right? If you look at, like, really great songs, like country songs, for example, always well, well-written songs. You know, there's always a very care taken into what lyrics are being said. You can take a country song and you can make it an R&B song. Right? You can take a country song and make it a pop song. You know, you can't make it a rap song because it's different in terms of the delivery. Obviously, it's rap. But you can take that great country song and just transform it into, like, look at I Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Raitt, right? Mm-hmm. Bonnie Raitt's a super country singer done in the 80s. Why is Tank covering the record 20 years later? The R&B of R&B, R&B is doing a country song and singing it, and it still sounds amazing. It still moves people, right? It's transcended genre, time. And gender. It's a fantastic song. Michael Jackson gets covered all the time. It's it's special. So sometimes you get those special songs. And that's what I'm saying. Like when I talk to people about like what do I need to do? As an unknown person and then nobody knows you, you want to compete with the Max Martins, the Claude Kellys of the world. Like in the top lining, you know, songwriters, you wanna uh Sia, you wanna compete with the big producers, Stargate, Boy Wonder, you know, all these people that are making so many legendary moves right now. Your record has to be not just better, like 10 times better to cut through because everybody's looking for them to make the hit record. They're looking at you to not make the hit record. You're ready under the gun, so you've got to be, you've got to know that record. And that, that only comes with time. That only comes with practice, you know, because some people's perspective just happens to be more worldly than others, you know? And then some people's voice, and when I say voice, is like what they're trying to say is just more generic. And that kind of goes a little easier. And then sometimes some things, like I write from a very personal space. So sometimes what I'm saying might not connect. When it's a personal thing, sometimes it takes a little longer to connect. When it's really right, it happens and it happens. Like Back to Sleep, I didn't write that with Chris Brown, like thinking, oh, Chris Brown, Chris Brown. I wrote that because this is an experience that, you know, that I've had and I want to write about it. And it just happened to be that. So it's a game, man. That's why you got to keep writing these songs. Like you keep writing them because not everyone is going to be a smash. So sometimes what you're feeling is not hit record feeling, right? Or what your perception of a hit record is. But you have to write it because it's going to be real. Mm-hmm. And then you know, that record may be a hit. You never, you don't know. You have mm-hmm. to allow yourself to create. Is part of uh, of all the whole songwriting because what is the quote like simplicity is ultimate yeah. what is it complexity or yeah. is, there's a quote right there yeah. yeah it's the hardest simplicity is the yeah. hardest thing to do yeah. is that part that of is, songwriting that is absolutely the hardest thing to do yeah. it's about levels right it's about levels I'll use a great example for my experience so there's a song by Party Next Door Come and See Me mm-hmm. like amazing song right dope song and I'm not like I'm not a Party Next Door fan like I like what he's doing I don't listen to him all the time. But that song in particular is what actually made me want to hear more Party because there is levels. There's, okay, cool beat, right? Dope beat. Sonic is fresh. Um, His voice is actually very magnetic in terms of how he records and how he actually sings the stuff. This song is one of the first ones I've seen him a little more clear. So I enjoyed that. But the flow, if you're just listening to it, just straight flow and understand what he's saying. It's dope. Like the cadence, even when Drake comes in, he kills it as well. So there is a cadence on the, on the level, on the just the bare listening level. It's like, oh, yeah, this is dope. I can vibe with it. And then there's an, if you listen to the undertone of the song with the lyrics and what is actually transpiring in the song, it's actually a very sensitive song. It's almost self-deprecating. It's like, I, don't, I actually don't make time for you. But, you know, and I understand that. It's very sympathetic, and you don't really get that from the onset. But as you listen to the lyrics, and then you see how they come with the lyrics all connecting back into the chorus, it's like one big punchline. So there's like levels to it, and that's what makes the songs 
last a little longer for me because you hear it for the first time and you like the melodies and the cadences so you listen to it again you give it another chance and you give it another chance and you start to it's like meeting somebody like you see someone attractive like a girl oh yeah I want to talk to her when you talk to her and she's dumb as doornails you smash and you bounce right but if she's smart and there's levels to her you give her time you spend time with her and you grow to love her and then you know it's something that's it's something that's with you it's like that's how a song is man you hear a great song you listen to Jodeci right now as much as I've listened to Jodeci in my life I can listen to Jodeci again and hear new things in that song that I didn't hear 20 years ago you know we can all write these hit songs and that's why you get these one hit wonders and these songs that come and go they hit number one because there's something novel about them and they go away because there's no other level to it there's what you see is what you get and that's cool I would love to write one of those songs as a songwriter because it's like instant money I want to write all those types of songs there's a time and a place for those things sometimes you want to play Who Let The Dogs Out and then sometimes you want to play Joe that's just how it is but I'm more of the on the other side like I think it's hard for me to write that novelty song. I actually admire the guys that can actually do that because I don't know. I'm not good at that. I can, and I get lucky, but I'm more about being emotional and you know coming from that standpoint. So Once again, going back to knowing yourself, and as we know that mu- music goes in waves and it's cyclical, it comes back to certain things, and you said that sometimes... Uh, what you're into, if it's not the vibe of what's happening right now, if you don't feel what's happening, uh, you try to figure things out. Uh, you know that you don't want to follow trends and you want to s- you switch it up, yeah. which is you have all these different roles. You're like, mm-hmm. if I don't like it, I'll engineer or I'll produce or I'll songwrite or I'll sing. Can you give me an example of maybe something that's like a wave or a vibe or a trend that's happening that you didn't like it and then you switched it up? What do you mean exactly by that? So the trends are going to be the trends. You want to be relevant. In order to move pop culture, my main goal is I want to be a part of pop culture and move it so that I can stamp, my, stamp time with my music. Mm-hmm. And the trends are coming and going. So I'm not trying to conform to the trends. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to appreciate them and be involved in them. So in order for me to do that, I have to understand what's going on first and then figure out where I can fit in into that. Sometimes it just doesn't work. But... Most times it does because the juxtaposition of music is what makes it great. You know, Neo on a dance record, who wanted to hear that until they heard it and were like... Or Usher on Climax. When that first came out, I was like, what? Yeah, like you, but, I thought Usher didn't have to adapt to the, the times when EDM records were happening. It still sounds like an Usher song yeah. juxtaposed over some, something new, right? Yeah. That, they, did, they really did a good job of melding those worlds. And I think, I think that's what you have to do to keep your skin in the game. And you got to stick to your guns. Like, if you do something well, yeah, you just do it well. And I feel like it's, music is all about timing. And unfortunately, some people's time... There's so many talented people that I know that one of two things happen. They give up, and then the new things come out. That's their vibe. And they're like, oh, I was doing this 10 years ago, man. Fuck. Well, yeah, you were. But 10 years ago, it wasn't hot. So that's, that's not anybody else's fault. You know, that's, you can't blame anybody for that. You might have been ahead of the curve, or behind the curve and the curve came back around it doesn't matter like yo you gave up and then there's the one that has all the ideas and that's super talented that is changing every single time and you never get to know who they really are because every form they're trying to they're trying to change their shape change who they are change who how they talk for the sake of the you know trying to get hot like i i can't i can't subscribe to that either because what are you then you know and if you get that hit right and and it happens because of something that was out of your pocket are you pigeonholed into that is that trend going to the trend that you tried to copy that's now going to be your identifiable thing as opposed to actually being yourself i think as a creative for me anyways that'll haunt me for the rest of my life rich or poor money or no money like if i can't be myself if i can't express to you creatively how i am if I'm not myself, it will pain me for the rest of my life. That's me. That's me. I don't know how it is for other people. Mm-hmm. Other people's goals are different and what, they're, what they want out of this, it could be very different from what I'm looking for. What I want is you know, my internal gratification that you know, the music that I made was able to be heard and the music that I wanted to make was heard. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, man. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But it's not going to not work for me not trying. Just try. Until the sun comes to get us Can't believe she said just drive 
and legacy is important. Your body of work will be here forever. It's like a time capsule. That SoundCloud account is going to be there forever or your iTunes or whatever. And when you're maybe eight years old, you know when you created certain albums, you're like, oh, this is what I was going through this time. That's a, it's kind of like a journal, isn't it? Yeah, because like, sometimes I write songs that people think oh, are amazing or, or that they're good or maybe just good. And I know that I didn't, like, that's not, that wasn't me. Like, I wasn't trying to, like, that's not what I'm about. I, I hate listening to those songs. I hate listening to them. Even though they're great. Like, even though they're, like, smashes. Not, I mean, yeah. I don't think they're great, though. Yeah. You know, I don't think they're smashes at all. And To the general public, is from that perspective. Yeah, maybe. And, like, that's the thing. Like, music is so subjective. Like, that's why when, like, we're doing that panel today, like, the anatomy of a hit song, it's very difficult for me to speak about what's the anatomy of a hit song. Like, dope melodies. Great lyrics, good punchline, and a bang and beat. Yeah, okay. Like everybody knows that. Like, what is some? There's some hit songs that we didn't think were going to be hit. Who thought Antidote was going to be a hit? Mm-hmm. That's not typically your radio record. Who thought any of these Drake songs were going to be hit? Fetty Wap. Fetty Wap. Fetty Wap. Melody game is stupid though. <laughs> that guy writes songs like a pop artist, like a pop song. He just got that hooks right, but. You know, look at the trend now. Like, we never thought we'd hear a song that's 60 BPM on radio. Five years ago, everybody's like, nah, we need this. We need 128. We need, we need dance. That's another thing. Like, when the dance music came out, I'm an R&B guy at the very, very core. So this dance music came out, and I had the wrong idea about it. Like, I was just, I was trying to make songs. I was trying to make songs like David Guetta. You know, and that's that's not me. I don't even know that. I don't know. I didn't know that. I know it a little now because I've studied it. I didn't know that world. I was in sessions with David Guetta and his squad, like with a whole bunch of Benny Benassi, like really big commercial dance guys. And I couldn't write anything. I mean, I did it, but nothing worth listening to because I was, I didn't take it into my world. I didn't find my place in it. So, you know, yeah, it's just funny like that. But I stuck around long enough for it to, for, to get in, like to know, to figure it out. And there's this theme of sticking around. Uh, you said the secret is not to give up. If you stick around long enough and you put in the concentrated effort, the good music will stand the test of time. You could have you given up, yeah. haven't you? Like plenty you of times by now? Huh? I gave up once. So oh, when was that? So like in 2003, okay. after I graduated, after, well, I didn't graduate, but after I got through um, engineering school, I wanted to make money, like, you know, I wanted to help my parents out, and I needed, so I was like, yo, I want to get a job, so I got a job working at a water filtration company, and, like, I'm pretty good at, like, simple math and stuff like that, like, you know, looking at numbers and seeing where we can save money and stuff, so in six months, I ended up becoming the national service manager, Um, so I had staff all across Toronto, and then all across Ontario, and then I had staff all across Canada and in the U.S., so I was, you know, I was making okay money at downtown office, you know. And that was cool for a year, but I realized that, you know, internally, like, I just, even though I was making money, I was being, I was able to help my parents, like, this is not the way I wanted to make, you know, this is not the life I wanted to live. So I actually had to ask my dad, I was like, yo, I'm, you know, I don't like this, and I I can't contribute money if I quit, but I know you guys need the help, is it cool? I I was like, I'm just really unhappy, I'm overweight, and I'm unhappy. Mm. And my dad was like, hey, man, if you want to quit, go quit. It was like I'll take care of it, or, you know, and like you know I don't depend. I wasn't depending on them, so I got a. It was just that that job was time intensive, so I didn't have a lot of time in the studio. So what I did was like I s- scaled it back, took less money, worked at uh, my friend gave me a job at Babler Radio, and I started again. I started to rebuild again because I was working all the way from when I was like 15 trying to do something, and then you get a job, you start to see you know 20 bucks, 30 bucks an hour. You're like, oh, cool. could be tempting. Yeah, but. And then to come back to get like another 12 bucks an hour. But the, the, the trade-off is I have more time in the studio. I'm only working five hours, eight hours a day. And now I have the rest of my day to go to the studio and handle my craft. That's what I was saying about, you know, have a job to pay your bills and then have a next job to pay your dues. So instead of 30 bucks an hour, now I'm so tired, I'm just going to chill out at home. I will work, you know, five to eight. I would probably eight-hour day. Then I would go home, do a demo for somebody for $100. You know, that hundred dollars for that day that sufficed my income of the that was making me more money than my thirty bucks an hour. Because if I get a hundred bucks a day plus my, I might be working more, but at least I'm doing something I love. You know, and then that and you're still getting better at that yeah, your craft because you're practicing. It's yeah. all practice. You know, I was doing. I don't know if you guys know um, Kim Davis and Johnny Rocks. 
But like Rox is obviously now Drake's trainer, and you know Kim still an amazing singer. She's doing her thing. But yo, did you work on Sometimes or no? No, no, no. <laughs> that was that was my song. Yeah, but yo, Kim and Rox, like, yeah. you know, we were all kind of in a grind together, and but they were always, you know, respectful of. You know, I always gave them my hundred percent effort, and they always, they always paid me, and it wasn't about how much they paid me. Sometimes it was like, yo, we have fifty, we have a hundred bucks. We have 20 bucks, whatever it was. I don't think they ever had, it was, it was never 20 bucks, but you know, it was something. And that's why we still have a relationship because I worked hard for them and you know, whatever they had, I was good with because on top of it, on top of it being like some money, extra money, they were also, you know, they were also doing something and allowing me to, you know, express my creativity with them. So, like, you know, that was a plus as well. And it's practice, you know. We, and we, it was building so all that stuff that I did in the past for, for cheap you know that um, that reputation starts to precede you yo he did this and he did an amazing job and then you can start charging more and that's how I started doing it start building it charge more then you start 500 a track 1000 a track and then all of a sudden you're like yo I'm just not doing that anymore like I don't do every single project that comes through the door like you know you get hit up to do things I don't do every single project that comes through the door I do something that I want to attach myself to or something that's going to bring in money right for myself anyways and then the stuff that I'm building that's the stuff that I you know can put my sweat equity in mm. As like, I like to call it that sweat equity because if I have an artist here who's, who's grinding with me every day she's depending on me and I'm depending on her to you know fulfill the needs of an artist you know we may not be getting paid but we're investing time we're investing creativity and that's that's priceless right you can't put a price on time and you can't put a type, uh, price on that creativity. It's invaluable and uh, immeasurable. The favorite song that you've written for another artist, who and what song? It would have to be You Smile, man, for Justin Bieber. That is my favorite song because I think that's the most classic song I've ever written. Right? Um, I feel like the timing-wise for Justin, because he was so young, it hit the top 10 or top, maybe it was top 20 on Billboard, but it kind of just shooted straight back down still generated a lot of money in terms of views and because it was a big song for him but in terms of radio success it didn't i don't think it did enough of the right demographic got to hear it because i think what he what he represented at the time was a little more like you know for ba- you know the song baby was huge right mm-hmm. that was a little closer to you know match where he was but i think that song is even though it's not big now i feel like you know, that song is going to take me till I'm, you know, it's going to get me through old age when I'm not writing songs anymore because it's a classic song. I feel like it's a song that, you know, Carol King would have written on, you know, I, I, I'm, I mean, that's big words because Carol King is the bomb. But I, that's what I fashioned that song after. I fashioned that song after a Beatles tune, right? Like I wanted to make a classic record. And the most exciting thing about being creative now is, for me, is the intent and the execution. And my intent for that song was exactly that. And I feel like that was the most well executed, even though it was a few years back. And also, there was a great energy in that studio that day because I was working with Jerry Wanda, who did, you know, the Fugees, mm. Lauren Hill. You know, he, he makes classic records. So I was in that vein. I was in that vibe. And, you know, just the experience that day was great. You know, it was the first time I met Jerry. Uh, sorry, first time I got to work with Jerry, and I wrote one song before that, and it was called Chasing Stars, which is a, also a really good song. And after I wrote that song, they were just so cool on me because I wrote this one good song, and I was always going up and down to go have cigarettes. And Jerry even let me smoke in his booth and everything. Like, he was like, he put an ashtray beside me. He's like, you write this song. You make a smash. I want you to be comfortable. So, you know, it was a whole experience of being treated by, you know, somebody, you know, like one of your idols, somebody you look up to who's affected the culture the way you want to, treating you so well, you know, and allowing you to be creative. Like that whole vibe of that thing, I think, contributed to making a great song. And then that song wasn't even for Justin Bieber. It was for Music Soul Child. It was done on a Music Soul Child song. And, you know, it just ended up there, you know, after the business was, was all sorted out. It ended up going there. I ended up doing the Music Soul Child stuff still, but that has to be my favorite song. It changed my life, you know, and it's also, you know, very me, you know, uncompromisingly me in terms of the viewpoint. And I feel like it's a classic joint, man. Like, it's just a classic tune that'll last. Is that also, uh, what's the biggest song that you've written for another artist? Um, AKA, the commercial yeah. success is probably the, the newest, the Back to Sleep, because Back to Sleep went number one, right? So, yeah. Urban. Anyway, so, I mean, I guess that one, 
it would be the most actually to be I'm lying I did this uh, song for One Direction on the first album I mean it was One Direction and it, the joke was when we wrote the song I just wrote it like it was just a catalog song I was in London and One Direction wasn't even big they were just on the show and like the talks was like oh maybe we'll just give it to One Direction oh okay cool I don't know who One Direction is but dope and yo that turned out to be one of the most like the biggest income generator for me because first off it was a UK group so when they were selling records in the UK it was double the price point almost because of the the pound and then it sold millions in the UK then it crossed over to the states and it was on the US album and it sold millions of records here so I made that would probably and that wasn't even a it was a single I think it went number one in the UK but it was a single it wasn't a single here in, I mean, in North America, but because of the record sales and because it was on, uh, you know, it was on that album that sold so many records. I think, you know, but the most radio is definitely Back to Sleep because I'm, I'm hearing it a lot. You just went to the Kanye show, Life of Pablo show, and uh, you said you, I think you posted it as like one of the best live shows yeah. you've been to. So tell me about that, the Kanye just experience and seeing I'm that. And I'm glad yeah. you asked that question. Yeah. I'm a Kanye fan, like from you know from Jump. Like I was big on his production when when he was just producing. I believed him when he told when he was telling everybody he's a rapper. Like I'm gonna do this. Kanye got me through when I was working at that at that place. Kanye's college, at the end he does that um, last call and he just tells a story of his life and how he got to where he got that made me want to push through his his words were so inspiring that I I had to push through because I was like this guy's retarded he's amazing you know like retardedly amazing and he the blind confidence to know that like he knew he, I felt I felt like because he goes on these rants and watching the Yeezy concert and then going back and seeing the rants as Backpack Kanye, it's like, yo, this guy knew he was going to be this great. And then watching the Pablo tour, like, you know, even the creativity of what he was doing, like, it was like watching somebody's dream come into fruition. So that was the one thing, that was one why it was amazing. The way he had it set up, like, he had like a mosh pit underneath him. Like, guy transcends genres now. He's like a, he's a rock star. He's a rock star in in every sense of the word without a guitar. You know, like we always thought about, you know, when you say rock star, it's like, you know, right? This guy, this guy is the new school rock star, right? He's the new school rock star. The first time I saw Kanye West live, he had half a stage opening up for Usher in the same venue, right? Half a stage with a DJ. He had a backpack and a pink polo, like he said, rapping Jesus Walks, doing his thing. And then to come back to the ACC, what, 10 years later and see him doing that, like that's, that's some, and some people were like, oh, I was disappointed in the show. I was just like, how could you be? If you're a Kanye fan, how could you be disappointed in that show? Like, it's, it was amazing. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, so talking about like what you're doing now, so you are, you're independent, you know, you were signed to Def Jam. Yeah. Uh, you've went through some challenges with being on a major label. So you said the next challenge is, is being independent, but also being contemporary pop and R and B. You can't. You're not like a trap rapper where you can just like go viral and blow up and everything like that. Uh, so tell me about that that challenge and how you're maneuvering and how you're planning to attack it. I feel you know I, I feel like an old school hip hop artist is what I feel like kind of like you know I'm I'm on a grassroots thing. I'm trying to get my message out you know through my music. And it's like one at a time, man, two at a time, three at a time. Every time I go out and do a show, I may get 10 fans, I may get three fans, and, but real fans, you know, because they meet me and they understand who I am and my plight and what I'm, what I'm saying in the music. Like there's always, you know, for every artist, there's always going to be different ops. Some, some artists get on and then it's trying to create the music. You know, that's the obstacle. For me, creating the music isn't the obstacle. For me, it's getting enough people to hear it and understand because it's the source, right? The source makes the music viable you can hear this these great songs but once you once you actually the source is exposed and you see it it's like oh it's either dope or it's not right because we want it all to connect i feel like my music needs people to see me and understand me like it needs so that's why i do all these little live shows i do a one-off here and there because every single i'm just growing it every single every single fan is important to me every single Every single tweet, every single Instagram, every single post. So like you'll see even on like there's maybe somebody love there's like one in every one every week that says, Oh, I love this song from August and I'm the first one to like it. I'm the first one to say thank you. 
any email I get, I'm I'm always careful to never forget about you know hitting them back when people send me music. Like I, I listen to everything, but yeah, being contemporary a contemporary pop R and B artist right now in this digital world, my songwriting is more traditional. It's more traditional in my songwriting approach. There's not a lot of avenues for that except for radio. You know, I can put it online, but the online user is looking for other things right now, right? Until I'm hot, until I can get to a Bruno Mars status, I just feel like I need to grow it. I'm not popular enough, I, and I'm just not big enough. I haven't, I haven't garnered enough success as an artist to do that, but I'm going to. Like, I'm just, I'm just building. I'm just building slowly, and I'm, I'm taking my time with it. Even with this project, the fallout, like we did Japan first, released in Canada, mm-hmm. and we just did the U.S. and worldwide. Mm-hmm. So it's still new. It's like, and it's been a year. It's still new, and you know, just as long as it hasn't, you know, blown itself up yet, you know, I'm gonna keep grinding because I believe in the music. It's it's a hard thing to find my place. You know, that's the biggest thing. I'm trying to find my place and where I can kind of put my energies towards because the internet is a fickle place, right? But what I do notice is that when I when I hit the nail on the nose with music for myself, regardless of what it is, the, it reflects in my views and it reflects in the response from others. So I don't have I don't have any of the answers as to what I'm going to do, but except for just keep going, you know, just keep pushing. And I know the music is good enough that it deserves a shot. So I'm that's that's my goal to just you know give it the respect and give it a shot. I, I was wondering that because obviously you are a success as a songwriter and it's. You're blessed to not be in a vulnerable position, say financially, where you got, you're desperate. But is it still a goal to be, yo, I am an artist and I am going to give this artist thing a go. Like, I am not giving up. I'm going in. Absolutely. I mean, let's put it on like a conscious level right now. Like, how many like Filipino, like full-blooded, like Filipino contemporary pop stars are there in this world right now? There's none. Like, to be honest, I don't ever lean on it, but I do feel the race card pulled on me. Even if it's indirectly, subliminal, I, I'm the elephant in the room a lot of the times. Like, yeah, the, the songs are great. Yo, you si- he sings dope. Don't know what to do with him. Asian, what do you do with an Asian pop star? What do you do with an Asian R&B guy? Like, what do you do with that? I don't know. But I know for a fact that when I hear a song on the radio that's dope, my automatic response isn't, what's his nationality? What does he look like? What does she look like? That's a dope record. I'm going to listen to it again. Oh, let me check out the rest of the stuff. Oh, all the stuff is dope. So I run a record label now. My first artist just got signed to Sony. Um, her name is Jeanette Claudette. Um, so I'm working on that. And then, But you know, for myself, I just keep building, man. I just keep growing it. And I know it's going to get a shot. And I know it's going to go. So... Yeah, it's just a matter of time. I gotta, I, and I, again, you gotta run that cycle and keep it going so until your time comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrapping up the interview, man, August being in LA, New York, and the, obviously you had to uh, leave Canada to make something of your career. Now, you know, Toronto is a six, and there's all this attention. Um, how are you feeling about, I guess, about Toronto? And to the Toronto artists who are listening to this, what do you want to say to them? You know, I'm born and raised here. I've always loved the city. So, you know, it's amazing to see that there's attention now to the talent here. And, you know, it's obviously due to Drake. You know, like, let's not deny the attention comes from that because he's so hot. And he's so good. He's actually fantastic. You know, as an artist, like, he's doing his thing. So, I don't know, man. Like, there's a ceiling here. There's a ceiling here. You kind of have to leave at some point. You can't outgrow the city, and it is. And again, like the internet, Toronto's fickle. <laughs> like you know, you have to be part of this squad or that squad, or you know, you got to make it yourself. I think it is a good idea to get out of the city and seek because you have to listen to that other music. You have to feel that culture, you know. So in order to bring that piece back, so that your music has a little piece of everything, has like it becomes more universal. You know, you, and you can still maintain. The thing about Toronto that's great is not it's not a melting pot, so you can still maintain your identity here and still be engulfed in all the other different things. Your backyard has to be in your pocket too. You know, you have to have your backyard here. So you grow it to where you can here, and then you have to you have to bring it somewhere else. You have to bring that energy to the stage or 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 to the rest of the world. There's a whole other world here to make money, right? 
it can't just stay here because like I, I would love to be able to make a great living in Canada doing music but it can't generate the, enough and it's not Canada's fault sometimes like we can talk about the infrastructure and we can talk about the labels here and you know the, the realistic thing is is that everybody is handcuffed by our population we don't have enough people we don't have enough people to fund the more people in Cali there is in Canada yeah you can sell a million records in California can't even barely sell 10,000 records in Canada you know especially now so it's just the sheer population that we can you can't generate the money that you're actually you think that the music industry does because we don't have enough people to buy those records so that's that's the only reason why we really because Toronto is a great place to to create it's a great place to catch a vibe there's good music there's good writers producers and artists out here but in order for it to blow you need the cosine of somewhere else unfortunately right Drake made great music when he was here but it wasn't until Lil Wayne said yo this kid is dope that everybody was on the jock and the difference with Drake like you know a lot of you know there's a lot of cosigns out there he took the cosign and ran with it you know and and showed everybody that yo I'm worth this cosign and did it so and that's the other thing so you find you look for your opportunities and I use Toronto as the training ground you know because it's critical and there's good music now and you know there's good music out here now right so it's a fact there's good music out here so if you can make it here you might not be huge but then you know there's a little bit of validation internal like okay it's, it's time to take this somewhere but you'll know because you'll outgrow it right again just be honest with yourself I, I haven't outgrown it yet I can't sell out a small club yet I might be able to but I'm not there yet but I'm going to build it towards that and then I'm going to build it towards that and then the next thing you know we'll, move, we'll start moving the show mm-hmm. but yeah man just keep going just keep going don't let the downward spirals get to you man because we are all capable of so much great things it's just as humans you know like it's all about the energy right so keep that energy up and positive and the universe will treat you the same way that's it man I think I, I saw somebody post on Instagram. It said PUSH, and they put an acronym, PUSH. Persist until something happens. Yeah. Like, just go until something happens. Right. You don't know what it's going to be. Just go. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. Every, and the thing, it's money, right? The money's the driving force. It's, it's, it's the devil and the angel all at once because you need it to survive. But sometimes when you're chasing after it, it doesn't happen, you know? Like, music, you don't make money, really, when you're coming up. You don't. It's not like it's not like getting a job and moving up and getting a promotion. You know, you're getting, like, a regular check. This doesn't happen like that. You put in the work, you put in that investment, and that investment either pays off or it doesn't. I always feel bad, like, when I'm telling people, like, yo, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going. Yeah. They're like, oh, how do I do that? Yo, sacrifice, bro. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yo, I was, I swear to God, like, everybody will tell you, everybody that knows me, that's close to me. I worked jobs, you know, I worked jobs, Gap, American Eagle, Sunglass Hut, Cineplex, McDonald's, mm-hmm. you know, water company. I like what, because you're talking about that, what I like about what you're saying right now, you're being practical, yeah. right? You're not like, I quit, uh, I'm not going to work jobs and I'm going to go into this music thing until it makes me money and then if it doesn't, I'm going to... Yeah. But you're actually practical. You got a part-time or full-time job. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you need money. Even like, yo, I used to go to New York and like make it, you know, I had whatever, a couple hundred bucks to last me like three, four weeks out there or something. And then, you know, an A&R will ask you to go to a club. And it's funny and so funny because I ended up... This one A&R, he's, my, he's a good friend of mine now. He's in a, a group called The Stereotypes. But when I met him, he was an A&R at Def Jam. And he was like, yo, come to the club with us. And we get to the club. You know, you want to be involved. You want to buy people drinks. And you talk to Parlay. You know, a drink is $14 in New York City. You know, I got 50 bucks in my pocket. You know, I got the rest is for gas and food. You know, I buy three drinks. That money's done. So, you know, I, I ran into that all the time. But... Like it is what it is, man. Like you just gotta, you just gotta work. You just gotta work. You have to make enough money to live. And so that's what I did. Like, I, and it, I always thought about it in that practical sense. Like, you know, because you need to make that dough. And then I, instead of instead of trying to pay for money for studio time, I just I went to school for engineering, or I I learned. And now you don't even need to do that. You can go on YouTube and learn everything for free. So instead of spending, if I, if I had that, I would have use the money that my dad spent on school for me to just buy some equipment and now you can buy equipment so cheap and get it done 
and you can learn how to do it properly so you can have your product already. So that's the biggest advantage right now. So I don't think, like, there's no excuse to not be good. And if your stuff isn't good, then you're just not working hard enough. She'll be my life and be my death. She'll be my every single piece of inspiration, every breath. Oh, in the end, when you ask me what I do, I've been writing songs about you. Yo, August, thank you. So cool to see you, man. 2008, you came Bro. through, man. You were driving. I remember clearly because I'm a fan of cars. You, you had an Audi. Yeah, same. I'm still driving the same car. The same car? Wow, okay. Of the hundreds of people that I've interviewed, I always wish everybody the best, and I can't wait when I see somebody like succeed. I'm like, yes. Yeah. You know, I knew I believed in this person for a reason. It's amazing, man. Like, because yeah. we, it's, yeah, because. So in 2008, like I hadn't done any. I had like make you a star out. I think right. That's why I gave you that T-shirt. That was the. That was actually the tipping point of my career because I because without any money, like my cousin had helped me, you know, get the record to radio, and that's how we kind of started bubbling. But you know, after not having enough, you know, after like you know hitting that ceiling again, you know, I didn't have anything else. So that's why that was actually when I moved. Like right after. I did the interview with you. I guess a few months later, I was like, "Yo, I'm going." That's when I started going back and forth to New York. That's when I started living in Jersey and stuff. So, and then you know, here we are now. Like you know, we're in Toronto, making moves and doing whatever I'm trying to do. It's a really good thing to see, man. And I really appreciate your support, man. You've always been, you've always been very real with me, and you've always actually been down for the cause. So you know, thank you. Mm-hmm. We're gonna keep building. Anything else you'd like to say to wrap up our conversation today? To the people who are listening, who have been inspired, they're creatives. It's a 20-year-old kid who's going to university college next week, and yeah. you know they're starting their first year or second year, or whatever. What anything else you would like to say? Just do something you love, man, and live and die. You know, doing something you love. I think there's a lot of emphasis on trying to make it. I think the emphasis on making it with you know is money. But at the very, very core of it, if it's something you love, then the money becomes negligent. You know, just as long as you can make enough to survive, if you're doing something you love, you're going to feel rich. And it's not about being rich. It's about feeling rich. You know, it's about that mindset. And it's hard, and it's a hard thing to say. But in actuality, I think it's the real, it's the really real, real. I know people who are extremely happy, who aren't rich per se, but they live the most amazing life. And isn't, that's what it's about, right? That's what it's about. It's about living life amazingly. And if you're doing something you love, it's always going to be amazing. That's it. That's all I have to say. Thank you, August. Really appreciate it, my brother. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with August Rigo. If this is your first time tuning into the Come Show podcast, check out our previous catalog. This is what we do, man. We share the journeys, the ups and downs behind the scenes. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever you can listen to your podcast. And yo, the Come Up Show email newsletter. Each and every Thursday, I send out a dope email newsletter that lets you know what's happening with the Come Up Show from contests to events. And there's tons of them happening coming up this fall season and so much more. Subscribe to our email newsletter. The link is in the description. Yo, thank you for listening, man. My name is Chetto. I'll be back next Wednesday. Peace. Peace.